0: Amen. Thank you very much, John. Uh, It's John Outlaw doing an excellent job with our offering devotion. As the ushers come, um, several things are happening in the life of our church. It's a a really important time. But I want to start this morning uh, because I know a lot of people are thinking about football. Are we not? And uh, I I heard a story this week I've got to pass on. There was a, a teacher in central Illinois that was an avid and is an avid Green Bay Packer fan. And her students knew that she loved the Green Bay Packers. And uh, just a couple days ago, one of her students showed up dressed in a Bears jersey, very much like Nancy Kuntz is wearing this morning. And uh, the teacher just couldn't believe it, just felt like it was really inappropriate that this student would wear a Bears jersey knowing she loved the Packers. So she called him up in front of the whole class, and she said, Johnny, I have to know why you're wearing a Bears jersey. He says, well, I'm a Bears fan. He said, why are you a Bears fan? He goes, well, I'm a Bears fan because my mom's a Bears fan and because my dad is a Bears fan. And at this, she got even more upset, more animated. She goes, that's the stupidest reason I've ever heard for being a fan of a team. What if your dad was an idiot and your mom was a moron? And without pausing, he looked at her and said, well, then I'd be a Green Bay Packer fan. Sorry, Packer fans. Sorry. Hey, this is really an important time in the life of our church, and it has nothing to do with football. I want you to know that. It has everything to do with some great opportunities for you to grow in your faith. And I want to let you know, starting Wednesday night, Families at First returns. It's going to be a great time. I hope. I know some of you have never come to Families at First, and I would love to have you come out starting this Wednesday, meal at 5.30, programming for all ages at 6:30. then the first wednesday in february and for the four wednesdays in february our friend doug Maris is going to be back with us he's actually going to be with us at the end of the service today for just a couple minutes but he's going to lead us in a walk through the bible new testament seminar for the four wednesdays in february and again i would love to have you participate how many of you came to at least one walk through the old testament last year was it a blessing or not? It was an absolute blessing and you will be blessed if you participate in walk through the New Testament and I need to let you know this Thursday night ladies night out salad potluck and program at 6:30. Well, we are well into our 90-day biblical adventure. B90X, and uh, we're going to be starting week four tomorrow. Today is day 21. For those of you that are reading with us, weeks one and two brought us Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the start of the book of Deuteronomy. This last week, week three, we looked at the books of Joshua and Judges and Ruth, and we just started into the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and I want to let you know, the, many of you know this, there's a blog that's going on. And uh, every day I'm getting on and sharing with you Um, What I'm taking from the reading, I can't share everything that I want to, but I would love to have you check out the blog. Also want to let you know Adam is doing a great job of making sure that the sermons each week are getting uploaded to our website. I know Dana and uh, Chris McDonald of our first service tape them or, or record them. And then Adam's doing a great job of getting them downloaded along with my sermon manuscript. So if you miss a week as we go through this journey, we want you to know those sermons are going to be available. And I need to give you just a little teaser, today's blog, it's a very rare occasion when these three names are in the same sentence. Tom Cruise, George Clooney, and Ernie Harvey. Rarely are they all in the same sentence together. So that's a little tease for you. You need to go to the blog and find out what in the world I was thinking. Well, last week we were in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and today we're in Judges chapters 10 and 11, and I want to fill in the gaps for you from when we wrapped up last week to where we arrived today. The book of Deuteronomy showed us the rest of Moses' life. And Moses was able to take God's people to the very edge of the promised land, but he was not able to take them into the promised land. It can't happen. And he was able to pass the torch to Joshua. And Joshua then leads the conquest of God's people claiming the land of Canaan, the promised land. And I said last week, and this is true, the book of Joshua is not G-rated. Much of the Bible is not G-rated. And when you talk about God's redemptive plan, sometimes the temptation is to say, wow, that's violent." Wow, how can that be fair? Look at it holistically. Look at it from a redemptive, God-leading-His-people-to-the-promised-land perspective. Well, Joshua dies at the end of the book of Joshua, and we come to the period of the Judges. And all through the book of Judges, you see Israel make mistakes. They do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then there's oppression, and then the next thing you know, they're re- repenting, and he's bringing up a deliverer. The book of Judges could really be summed up well with one verse. It's Judges 21:25. We'll put that verse on the screen. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. That's the period of the judges in many ways. Now, as I read that, does that sound like any period of time that you're aware of, maybe? To today, maybe? Is that maybe the the modern cultural motto? Everyone did as he or she saw fit? I think there's a lot of parallel. To understand the book of Judges, that's where we're going to be today. You need to understand the judges cycle. Now well, I just gave it to you real quickly, but we're going to put this next slide up on the screen. And it gives you the four stages of the judges cycle. You've got sin, you have oppression. You have repentance, and then you have deliverance. And we're in Judges chapter 10. And for the sixth time already in the book of Judges, we see this tag phrase, Again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's an ongoing cycle. And every time Israel does that, the Lord has the same reaction. He sends an oppressor to beat them down. And today in our encounter, it was a 20-year oppression, a 20-year beatdown. Every time this happens in the book of Judges, God's people realize after a while, this isn't much fun, this isn't what I signed up for, and they repent to the Lord their God for the error of their way. And every single solitary time, God is faithful and he raises up a deliverer. And that is where the story of the judges come. Deborah, Gideon, today Jephthah, Samson, the judges rise up and they lead God's people from oppression to community with him. Now, I want to just say this. This isn't in the notes. This hit me during first service. I think this is a great foreshadowing of us and our lives today in many ways. We are just like the people of Israel. I'm just like the people of israel again i do evil in the eyes of the lord again you do evil in the eyes of the lord and and sometimes there's consequences for our behaviors many times there are consequences and we're called to repent but here's the awesome thing just like every single time in the book of judges god will raise up a deliverer do you realize every time you sin and you fall short you're guaranteed to be forgiven of that sin now, I'm not saying license the sin. You know, Romans 6 deals with that. Shall we go on sinning? By no means. But understand, if you fall short, if you sin, if you make a mistake, you have a God that's faithful and he's just and he will forgive you of your sin. And, and that's an amen statement right there. I mean, just that's awesome. That's absolutely incredible. Okay, let's talk about Jephthah. But before we talk about Jephthah, I want to take you back about 20 years to an event that happened in our country, in the state of Colorado. It's the story of a five-week-old baby girl by the name of Jessica Ann Leiberger. She had come down with pneumonia, and her father, John Cortland Leiberger, described by the media of his day as a fundamentalist preacher, started to pray for his daughter. Leiberger believed that God would answer his prayer. He believed that his God was the God of healing. So instead of taking her to the hospital, right across the street from his Estes Park home, he continued to pray. Day and night, he prayed for his daughter. He prayed fervently. Jessica Ann Leiberger died. Charges were brought against this preacher, and he went to trial and he was found guilty of manslaughter. And the judge in the case felt that justice would not be served by putting him in prison. He had five other children. By all accounts, he was a good father. So instead, the judge sentenced him to five years probation, during which time he had to do community service, which included working as an orderly in the hospital across from his home. Now, when the trial was over, a member of the media, a reporter, stopped John Lieberger and asked him, what he thought about the verdict. Leiberger responded that God is my judge, and I'll give an account to him. You know, in a sense, John Leiberger is right. Like all of us, he will stand before God's judgment seat, and he'll give an account for the way he's lived his life. But in that day, when God comes to judge John Leiberger, what do you think God's verdict will be? What do you think? Guilty? What will his verdict be? The story of Jephthah is a, um, it's a troubling account. I need to say it at best. I, I wrote on the blog this week, I, I wrestle with the story of Jephthah. It's a, it's a tragic story in many ways. And I don't want to give it away before we dive into it. But I want to let you know, I almost didn't preach this sermon. I almost changed things around. Because I struggle with the story of Jephthah. I'm sad when I preach the story of Jephthah. So with that, let's dive in and look at what God's Word has for us this morning. Judges chapter 10, verse 6. Here we go. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's a repeated thing. Sixth time. We've read this in the book of Judges. And verse 7 says, The Lord became angry with them, so he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites. And for 20 years, they faced this oppression. For 20 years, life is awful. Now, 20 years ago was 1991. Do you realize that's the year I started in full-time ministry? Think of where you were 20 years ago. Some of you weren't even alive 20 years ago. And that's how long that oppression took place. For 20 years, life was tough. But finally, God's people said, enough is enough. And they went to their knees and they said, God, what were we thinking? And they repented to the Lord, their God. They said, we're sorry. They said, we're changing. They said, we're turning back to you. And hence comes the story of Jephthah. Let's read together chapter 11, beginning verse 1. It says, Jephthah the Gileadite." was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his mother a prostitute. Now Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. And so Jephthah fled from his brothers, and he settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him. And followed him. And this plays out in 2011. You you probably know incidents like this where someone is treated very poorly by their family because they're different in some way, and they're sent packing, they're on their way, they're not welcome anymore, and they probably don't land in a Sunday school class. They probably don't land in a pack of Boy Scouts. Where's he end up? It says "A a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and this is a tragic time for Jephthah to be told by his brothers even though we share a father you're not one of us even though we're grieving the loss of our father you're not getting any of his money because your mom's different than our mom and so they send him on his way verse 4 Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Listen to this. Come, they said to him, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Now, if you're Jephthah at this point, what are you thinking right here? Honestly, what are you thinking? Give me a break. I'm going with you. You sent me packing. You sent me on my way. And now you get in trouble and you need me? This must have been a very rich moment for Jephthah. Listen to him in verse 7. He says, didn't you hate me? Didn't you drive me from my father's house? Why do you now come to me when you're in trouble? Jephthah has all the power. And what takes place from verse 7 to where we're going to pick up the story in verse 29 is a period of negotiation. First with the the, the brothers of Gilead, God's people, Israel. And then later with the Ammonites, the, the, the country that was oppressing the Israelites. And through all of it, I don't really have a lot of time to expound upon. I want you to see Jephthah comes out on top. Jephthah comes out like the shining star. Jephthah comes out, he's in charge. All the people are listening to his every word. And he is ready to lead God's people from a time of oppression to a time of deliverance. Let's read on. Verse 29 of chapter 11. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead, the Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mitzbah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. Verse 30. And then Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands... Whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. I got to tell you, Jephthah's all good through verse 29, but he starts to get into trouble in verse 30. What I think is taking place here is that Jephthah's trying to bargain, Jephthah's trying to get a little extra security. And the spirit of the Lord was on him, but he wasn't sure the spirit of the Lord was enough. So he says, God, guess what? If you give me this battle, if you give me this victory, I'll do something for you. And then he made a vow that he'd probably heard made before. See, it was very common during the culture of the day to say to the gods, plural, if you do this for me, I will sacrifice something very near and dear to my heart for you. That's where Jephthah, Jephthah is at. Verse 32. Then Jephthah went to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aor to the vicinity of Menath as far as Abel-Kirman. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. It should have been as good as it gets. This, this, this gang leader, hanging out with a gang of scoundrels, has risen to the leader of Israel? And not only has he risen to leader of Israel, he's led them to a great military victory? Can, can it get any better than that? Well, let's see the rest of the story. Verse 34. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzpah, who should come out to meet him, but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was, only a ch- he was a, she was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. And when Jephthah saw her, he tore his clothes. It's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of heartbreak. And he cried, Oh, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. I saw this coming. Did you see this coming? And then verse 39, there's a little interplay between father and daughter, but verse 39, after two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed. And Jephthah went from as good as it gets, win-win, check me out, Sacrificing his only child because of a flippant vow he had made. I I don't like this story. I've just got to tell you. It's not one of the happy stories of Scripture. But I share it with you because, in its tragedy, I think there's lessons. We can learn. I think there's lessons we must learn that help us as we live our lives. And I'm going to try to do this this morning as quick as possible. We see the danger of a strong faith, but a very weak theology when we look at Jephthah. We see a case of someone in Jephthah that had great faith. He was a man of faith. You can't take that away from him. He grew up a a gangster, and yet he had the faith to trust God and to do great things in his name. Now, you may be looking at that big TH word, and you may be saying, what's theology? Let's put the definition up on the screen. It's a really simple word. simply means the study of God. And I'm here to tell you today, you need to have great faith. You need to be a person of faith. You can't read the New Testament without seeing how important it is to be a person of faith, but hear me when I say this. If you don't have good theology to back up that faith, you can become a very dangerous person. See, Jephthah had faith, but he needed good theology to help his faith grow. That's the next lesson. He had great faith, but he needed good theology to help his faith grow. You may say, why? Here's why. If Jephthah, had been a student of the Word. If he'd been doing B90X like we've been doing B90X, he would have read four different times in the books of law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that he didn't have to fulfill that vow. Let's put these scriptures up on the screen. We need to do this quickly. But in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, there is a flat-out prohibition against sacrificing children to the God of Moloch. Child sacrifice is forbidden. And you may say, did anybody do it during that day? They did it all the time. The pagan people of the day did it all the time. The people that worshipped other gods did it all the time. And the Lord, our God, said, not you, Israel. You're different. Don't do it. Next two slides from Deuteronomy. Prohibition against following the customs of the foreign gods. Verse 31, specific mention about not practicing child sacrifice. Deuteronomy 18, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son and his daughter in the fire. So here's my question for you today. Why didn't Jephthah follow Deuteronomy 12 and Deuteronomy 18? Why didn't Jephthah follow the teachings of the book of Leviticus? Do you know why? He didn't know them. That's exactly right. Because instead of being in Sunday school class, what was he doing? He was out and about with his gang of scoundrels. See, the key lesson that I want you to grab today, here it is. A strong faith without good theology can have tragic consequences. Tragic consequences. And for a couple minutes, I want to leave Judges 11, and I want to take you to The contemporary world. And talk about some issues that you probably have an opinion on, would be my guess. I bet everybody in this room over the age of, say, seven or eight has an opinion on on these issues I'm gonna throw up here. And I want to just see how are you arriving at the conclusions you've arrived at. The first is the issue of abortion. And if you don't know, today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Yesterday was the thirty-eighth anniversary of Roe v. Wade, that landmark decision that legalized abortion in America. Over 50 million legal abortions have taken place in the U.S. since 1973. And my guess is every teen and adult has an opinion. Some of you would say you're pro-choice. Some of you would say you're pro-life. But you have an opinion would be my guess. And I ask you this morning, how have you arrived at the conclusion you've arrived at? Is it through the culture? Is it through media? Is it through the message that you hear day in, day out? Or is it through the study of God's word? Culture would tell you that life doesn't really happen until the baby is outside the womb. For many people make that argument. Others would say, even if it does exist before, choice is greater than life. And yet I remind you what Jeremiah 1.5 says. The Lord told the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You can't study God's word holistically and not see a passion for the born and the unborn. And so I'm not telling you what you have to believe. I'm telling you make sure theology is a part of your decision-making process. I also want to let you know of a great opportunity that we have. For the fourth year in a row, we are partnering with the New Life Pregnancy Center in Decatur. And as we partner with them, we're asking everybody to take a baby bottle that wants to, you don't have to, but take this baby bottle Fill it up with your spare change. Bring it back by March, where's Anne-Marie at? March what? 13th. And let's support this great ministry that's on the front lines of this issue in central Illinois. It's a great, great opportunity. There's a second issue. And some of you might smirk when I put it up there, but it's the issue of sexual activity or sexual behavior. And I want to be as sensitive as I can as I unfold this, this issue. But everybody needs to have an opinion on this issue. You probably do have an opinion. Now, culture would say, if it feels good, do it. Culture would say morality is nothing more than a personal choice. I mean, come on, we live in the day and age of television shows like Desperate Housewives. Are you kidding me? Desperate Housewives? That's entertainment? We, we find humor in that? And yet I know many of us, We've been sucked into what our culture tells us should be our thought process when it comes to sex and being sexually active. But I want to remind you of just one verse of Scripture. I could put 20 verses of Scripture up there. But don't forget 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you this morning, okay? And I'm just saying this is one of the most important, important areas of your life don't be flippant in in the decisions that you make don't be flippant in the positions that you take issue number three is going to seem odd in light of these two the issue of giving and tithing see even in the church i'm convinced most christians don't really have a strong theological conviction when it comes to giving most of the time we look at the k how many of you looked at the k last week and saw our offering Is God good or what? Unbelievable. But I know some people look at that and say, you know, that offering was double our weekly need. I don't have to give now. Somebody else has given. I don't have to give. See, even within the church, culture tells us, only give if you have a lot of money. Or only give if the church is in crisis. I've heard Christians tell me they really believe Financial giving is optional. If I feel like it, good. If I have some extra good. And I'm going to tell you today, you need to have a theological base for what you believe and how your family practices stewardship. My favorite verse of 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We use it all the time around here. Each man should give what he's decided to give, not reluctantly or compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not telling you what to do. But I'm telling you, make sure God's word is part of that decision-making process. Make sure that like Jephthah, you have a strong faith. But unlike Jephthah, you have good theology as well. You're a student of God's word. We know the Jephthah story doesn't end in Judges chapter 11. You probably didn't know that. If you're in my Sunday school class, you do. But uh, anyway, go to Hebrews chapter 11 real quickly. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the greatest chapters of Scripture in the whole Bible. It's the Faith Hall of Fame. In fact, if you're not doing B90X, don't raise your hand, but I have an assignment for you today. You have to go home, and you have to read Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It's a great history lesson as well. And as you read Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to hear about some of the great, great heroes of the faith. But you're going to get to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, And you probably won't believe what you're going to read. Listen to this. And what more shall I say, the writer of Hebrews says. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson. Who's that guy in red up there? Jephthah. Jephthah. He's in the faith hall of fame? Are you kidding me? That's my human reaction. Seriously? The faith hall of fame? And so the conclusion that I draw, the lesson that I draw is this. God, he's an awesome God, and he will overlook ignorance, but he cannot overlook unbelief. I I want you to hear me this morning crystal clear. Faith matters. And a positive thing we can take from Jephthah is that he was a great person of faith. But what I have up there, God will overlook ignorance. Friends, that's no plea to be ignorant. It's not a good thing to say, yeah, I got a lot of faith. I'm not really worried about all that Bible study stuff. You know, when you go to the doctor and you're getting ready to have surgery, how would you feel if you started talking to your doctor and you asked your doctor about his medical training And he said, you know, when I was in school, you know, the books were fine. I read as much as I could. But what really impressed me was bedside manner. And I wanted to have the best bedside manner I possibly could have. So I'll get it done one way or another. But it's bedside manner that's really important to me. Would you be ready for that surgery? Probably not. You want the doctor and the surgeon that didn't just read, but mastered and understood. That's no plea for ignorance. And so our bottom line this morning really is pretty simple. We are called to be people of faith, but good theology is not optional. Friends, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love the Lord your God with all your soul. But don't forget to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for the chance to gather in your name. Bless us now as we move toward our invitation. Uh, th- thank you for your word. E- even when your word's hard to read, even when we have an account like Judges 11 that is just sad, it's tragic, thank you for the truth that we can glean from and help us unlike judgment. To have a passion for your word. To have a theology that's not mom's or dad's or grandma's or grandpa's or Kent's or Ernie's or Greg's. But to have a theology that we own, that's real, that's alive, that guides us when we try to decide where we stand on issues that face us today. Thank you most of all for Jesus, your son. that hope he brings us. It's in his name I Thanks, Greg. As we come to our invitation time, and again, I, I know I feel like I say this every week, but I really do mean that all of us have a, a decision to make. And, and Greg said the verse two times this morning, and I hope you heard it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that's our prayer for you this morning. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, Say, you cannot say, I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I invite you up here this morning. Grace up here. for an I'll be a I'd like to talk with you. Just We're here as well as we stand together. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need.